The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Well, we are wrapping up a series, uh, pretty much today we're wrapping up a series called Dust to Dust, Stories of Transformation. And and in this series, we've been looking at how God has has been at work in the lives of people who are part of this local church, who are part of Acts Church Leander, and and we've seen how God's been doing that. And so last week, we got to hear from from our sister, Fran Musgrove. And uh, if you missed that, I encourage you to get online. You can find her story uh, either on our website or Vimeo or Facebook or whatever social media outlet you like, uh, you can do that and, and check that out. Uh, it was a great story. She says some, some powerful things. And this morning, uh, we get to hear from uh, our good friend. Uh, he's uh, one of our regular musicians up here. He's also our, our resident taco enthusiast. Uh, Garrett Messer is going to share his story with us today, and so we'll get to that in a little bit. But as we've been looking at, at our personal stories as a church, we've also been lining those up with Scripture and seeing, well, how do they intersect? And so today, we're going to look at the text we just read, the, the story of Palm Sunday, of Jesus triumphantly walking into Jerusalem. And I think sometimes, though, Palm Sunday is like this weird thing for us culturally, right? Like, you guys came in, you were handed, you know, this leaf, and, and we're singing songs, and like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? You know, like, it's, it's just weird, right? And there's, there's part of that that we don't fully get the gravity of what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday. We don't, we don't fully get that every move he made was intentional, that everything he was doing on Palm Sunday is, is he was sending a message, making clear who he was, what he was doing, and what he was about. And, and, and that's because he was using all these sorts of cultural clues that we're not really used to seeing because we have our own culture, right? And every culture has this thing where there's these sort of uh, uh, clues that, that set up that something big is about to happen, right? So let's just, for the sake of, of wrapping our minds around what Jesus uh, did, let's just think about our own culture and some, some different things that, that we do. So what I want to do, I'm going to give three sentences to describe a scene, and you say to the person next to you what scene I'm describing, okay? It'll only take three. All right, there's a young man standing in front of a group of people. A young lady walks in wearing a white dress. Everybody stands up. All right, what's going on? Wedding, right? Okay, do we all get it? All right, A's so far. All right, number two. Um, The national anthem is sung. A coin is flipped. And a whistle is blown. What's going on? Football game. All right, very good, very good. All right, final one. A uh, red carpet is rolled out, limos pull up, and there's uh, cameras, microphones everywhere. What's going on? Oscars Oscars awards show. Okay, excellent. So it took three sentences, pretty broad descriptions, but you knew exactly what I was talking about. And that's because as a culture, we have these sort of ceremonies and these traditions that surround these major events. And see, what we see in our text today is that Jesus actually sets up one of these cultural traditions, this procession of a king. He does everything that a conquering king would do when entering into a city. He makes every move very intentionally so that it's, it's very clear who he is and what it's all about. And so let's dig into our text for today. If you guys would look with me at verse 1. It says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. All right, we're going to pause there. All right, so, so the gospel writer Mark uh, tells us that Jesus and his disciples were close to Jerusalem, and they stopped in the cities of Bethany, Bethpage, and the Mount of Olives. This is like the, the suburbs of Jerusalem, all right? So it's the, the Leander and Cedar Park uh, of Jerusalem, if you will. Uh, but before, you know, Jesus gets on 183 and then gets on Mopac and gets off on Cesar Chavez, uh, 
Mark wants us to take note of where Jesus is coming from. See, Mark is a very short book. And so if there's ever any detail, he doesn't have very many details. If there's ever any detail, he's doing it for a reason. He wants us to see something in the text. And the reason Mark is telling us where Jesus is coming from is he's showing us that a specific prophecy is being fulfilled. That in the book of Ezekiel, uh, there's this, the story of the book of Ezekiel is, is God is speaking to the people of Israel and he says, hey, when I found you guys, you were like a baby that was abandoned to die. And I, I picked you up and, and I cared for you and I loved you and, and I, I, I nourished you. And then when you were old enough to love me, you didn't. Instead, you turned and you pursued other gods. And the story of Ezekiel is very graphic. It gets, it gets even worse. It says, you pursued other gods so much that even though you were like an abandoned baby, you actually ended up sacrificing your babies to these false gods. And uh, that, of course, ticks God off. And so it says in Ezekiel that his glory left the temple, that his glory left Jerusalem, and it left to the east. But because God is this God of relentless grace, this God of relentless mercy, that even though Israel had turned as poorly as they did, he said, I'm not giving up on you. He said, I'm still coming for you. And he says, one day, Ezekiel 43, he said, my glory is going to return to Jerusalem. My glory is going to return to the temple, and it's going to return from the same place it left. It's going to return from the east. Now, where do you think Bethany, Bethpage, and the Mount of Olives are located in relationship to Jerusalem? They're east. They're east of Jerusalem. And so the glory of God is returning to the temple in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is a big deal. That the the groom is standing at the front of the church. The the coin's been flipped. The red carpet is rolled out. Mark wants us to see that it's time. That the king is coming. God's glory is returning to his people. And because it's time, Jesus starts making preparations. Look with me at verses 2 and 3 in our text. Jesus sends two disciples and says to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. I want us to notice something here. If you, if you look throughout the story of Jesus' ministry, if you read the Gospels, a lot of his ministry is actually one of reaction. Right? Like a guy comes up and says, hey, you know, my kid's sick. Will you help him out? Just, you bet. Right? Disciples show up and say, hey, these people are hungry. Can you feed them? You got it. Right? Or someone comes up and says, Jesus, what do you think about marriage? Well, you know, here's what I think about marriage. So, so a situation presents itself. Things happen. And then Jesus responds. That's typically how his ministry has worked. But in this story, all of a sudden we have this shift. And Jesus gets really proactive. He's moving the pieces in place. He's giving very specific instructions to his disciples. And why does he do this? Why does he give these specific instructions? Because he wants people to see him for the king that he is. And by getting this colt, sometimes translated as donkey, by having this procession into the city, he's making it clear, clear that he is the true king of the world. He's making it clear that he's the true king of the world. And he does this in a couple ways. First of all, he fulfills another prophecy, Zechariah 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so by riding this donkey into Jerusalem, Jesus is making clear that he is the true king of Israel. 
That he's this promised Messiah. He's the king of Israel and he's coming to bring salvation. But secondly, Jesus shows that he's not just the king of Israel, but in fact, he's the king of the whole world, of all of creation. And you say, well, how does he do that? He does that because he intentionally asks to ride a colt that no one has ever ridden. Think about this with me for a second, all right? What happens if someone sits on an animal that has never been ridden before? They get bucked, right? Things don't go well. Animal hasn't been tamed, hasn't been taught to have a rider on them. But Jesus specifically chooses to ride a colt through a crowd of what scholars estimate to be about half a million people, shouting Hosanna, waving palm branches. You would expect this animal to just freak out and flip out, and it doesn't. Why not? Why not? Because she's with her creator. Because this this donkey, this colt, is being ridden by the very God that gave her life. You see, again and again throughout the Old Testament, the the prophets say that that when, when the Messiah comes, when the true king comes, that all of creation will be made right. All of creation will be restored. Isaiah 11 talks about how the the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the bear and the cow will graze together and and kids will play with snakes and they won't get bit. That that the sort of enmity that's between us and the created world won't exist anymore and everything will function the way it's supposed to be. And so Jesus, by riding this unridden colt, is showing us he's the true king. He's the true Messiah. He's the one that's going to restore all of creation. See, Jesus came to restore the whole created world, not just our souls. He came to restore everything, not just one specific people group. And this is key for us to get. Because it's something that the folks in Jesus' day missed. They didn't catch this. Look with me at verses 7 through 10. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And so the folks, they they cry Hosanna. And Hosanna means save us now. Save us now. And they say blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Now, Now why do they say these things? Because there are people that are oppressed. They're not free. There are people that are ruled by a foreign government. They're, they're under the thumb of Rome. And so they, they're expecting Jesus to come in and to rally an army and to overthrow their rulers and set them free to liberate them with military might. That's what they're expecting him to do. That's what they want him to save them from. And that's why they wave the palm branches. See, palm branches were, were a sign in the ancient world of, of victory and of, of uh, celebration. And so they're waving these as a sign of insurrection saying, hey, Rome's not going to be in control anymore. Israel's rising up. We're throwing these guys off. We're going to be set free. And so they're all excited, but uh, the gospel writer Luke tells us that, that Jesus' face, as he's riding on the donkey and as he sees the people celebrating, that Jesus is weeping. And he's weeping because it says that they don't get it. They don't get that he's not come to just liberate one group of people from another group of people, but he's come to liberate the entire world from sin and death and brokenness. That his mission is much bigger than one little people group. So he weeps. And I think it's easy for us uh, modern Christians to look at this and we think like, you know, how could these folks have missed it, right? 
Like Jesus is not going to come in and start some, some big war and, and throw over the Romans. Like, like how could they do that? Like he wasn't just about liberating uh, Israel. He was about liberating the, the whole world from sin and brokenness. How could they not see who Jesus was really about? Why did they think he, he had to work this way? They just wanted this sort of pragmatic king, this practical ruler. It's easy for us to think that. But I think we do the same thing, right? Like, don't, don't you, don't we expect God to show up in a certain way? Don't you expect Jesus to be some sort of pragmatic ruler that you want him to function in your life in a particular way? And when he doesn't, it's very confusing and frustrating. We have expectations on what we want Jesus to do. We want a pragmatic king. Like, I think about it like this. Uh, Melissa and I's best friends from seminary, uh, Josh and Jenny, uh, they have three kids um, under age five, and uh, they're working hard to, to plant a church in um, really the roughest part of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, uh, and they're also adopting a little girl from Uganda named Rose who's HIV positive, and they're, they're adopting her to bring her here so she can get the medical care that, that she needs and, and live a long and full life. And, and it's this great thing, but their adoption process has been a nightmare. And uh, three months ago, our friend Jenny went over to Uganda to get Rose. I said, hey, she's ready. You can go get her. And so she thought, grab her, come back, good to go. She's been over there for three months. Uh, she actually gets back today, which we're, we're very happy about. Um, but that's three months where she's been away from her kids. Six-month-old baby, two other kids. That's three months where my buddy Josh has been trying to care for his kids while simultaneously planting a church in a neighborhood that's filled with violence and drugs and gangs. He's been away from the help and support of his wife. And, and we're, of course, thrilled that she's coming back. And I know many of you have joined us in prayer for them over the last six months, and, and, and that's great. But I can't help but think, like, like, God, what was the point of all that? Like, they're very clearly doing your work. They're very clearly doing things that you would call them to do. Couldn't you have opened a few more doors? Couldn't you have just made it a little bit easier on them? You would have looked so much better. It would have been a way better PR campaign for you. Like, like, why couldn't you do that? Right? See, see, I want Jesus to show up how I want him to. And there's places in your life where you want him to do that too. Where you say, Jesus, you, you know you should be doing this. Why haven't you shown up here? Or you look maybe in particular at your kids' lives and you say, Jesus, why haven't you shown up in my son's life, in my daughter's life? I, I've expected you to do this and you haven't done it. What's going on? And this sort of tension is very difficult for us to accept the Jesus we want versus the Jesus that is. And I don't know if you got a chance to watch uh, Garrett's story this week on the video we posted online, but, but he actually goes through this journey of, of, of wrestling with the, the Jesus that is uh, in the midst of perhaps the Jesus that he wants, and he does a, a great job going through it. And so we're going to watch his video again here, and then he's going to come up and, and share some more of his story with us. I'm Garrett Messer, and this is my story. Well, um, story of transformation, I grew up in New Mexico, Roswell, New Mexico, real small town, about 50,000 people. I absolutely despised Roswell. It was just easy to get into trouble, and I liked music. There wasn't a lot of uh, music venues or anything like that to do there, so it just really seemed like a downer for me. I remember growing up uh, just really depressed in high school and um, 
like junior year going into my senior year summer, I got so bad that I contemplated suicide. Supreme depression up to that point in my life where I just didn't know what to do anymore and I thought that was going to be the answer and of course it's not. And um, so I told my parents and went down that route, got on antidepressants and all that stuff and it was funny because the whole time I kept hearing from church congregations was, you just need to read your Bible more and pray more. And my whole thing, my first thought was, well, how how, how do you know how much I read and pray my Bible? How do you know my walk with God? The gospel for me, uh, when I was struggling in depression, it just showed me love was a thing. Because, I mean, with my depression, a lot of times I just didn't feel loved or wanted or alone, even just being in a small town. I decided to not go to school my freshman year of college. And um, I didn't want to live in New Mexico anymore, so I just tried every escape route to get out of there. Luckily enough, I connected with a church called Hill Country Bible Church and filled out an application for their um, high school internship program to where I get to work with high school students, junior high students. And, and I remember thinking, like, yes, this is going to be great. Like, finally, I've heard so many times, like, God will open the right door when it's time. And, you know, I just never believed it because it felt like no doors were opening for me. And um, so this, this door kind of creaked open. And so I came to Austin in the summer in May of last year. And <clears throat> I remember when it was ending and just kind of the thought that, you know, God opened the door. Like, I know that that can happen. I know I'm not stuck somewhere. So I just prayed, like, if you want me to stay in Austin, then just open the doors. So that very same day, a uh, guy I worked with told me he had an apartment he needed a roommate for, and their lease was ending up in two weeks. And I said, wow, okay, well, that's crazy. The very next day, I got a job. So it was kind of obvious that I was staying. So within two days of praying that prayer, I was, I called home, said, I'm moving to Austin. I'm bringing some more stuff with me out here, and I'm just kind of calling this home. It's just crazy to think that I thought I was trapped in a tiny town that I didn't want to be in, where I felt depressed, where I felt miserable. And I just felt like everyone was saying, don't worry, God's timing is perfect, when in reality, I was like, it's not perfect. All my friends left for college, and I was stuck here, you know, just kind of by myself, you know, just struggling with life. And then, you know, I had to sit in that time in Roswell. And just, it was a waiting period, and kind of like a, a test run of just my patience. And I just had to wait, but uh, I just knew there was something more for me. And, God knew when that had to be, and it had to be this summer and this year, and so now I'm just come to the realization that God's timing is perfect. In the big picture, if he has you sitting somewhere you don't want to be, it's probably for a very good reason. So Even when you're feeling lonely or not loved, you know, like you're loved by the man who loves you most. And sometimes the things we want might not happen. Like, I wanted to go to all those places, El Paso, Jacksonville, San Diego. I, my heart desired that, but in reality, God said, no, I have a much better plan for you. I have a much better place for you where you're going to love it, and I'm going to love you being there, and you're going to get to do great things. So I'm just excited to see what God has for me in Austin, only being here for less than a year. and um, It's just an exciting adventure. Welcome, Garrett. Thanks, man. Well, Garrett, thanks for sharing your story with us, and we just got a, a few questions for you this morning uh, as we get started. Um, but I, I love, you know, probably my favorite part in your story is, is you share how in sort of the midst of your depression, the midst of, of suicidal thoughts, you talk about how uh, the gospel had 
in, in impacting you. You say that, that you felt loved. And, um, and, and then, but you also, you had church folk at the time uh, that were insisting, well, you know, the reason you feel this way is because you're not reading the Bible enough, you're not praying enough, you're not doing X, Y, and Z, and so it's this deficiency in your spiritual life that's leading to this. And that, I had to assume, was like hard advice to hear. And, and I think sometimes the, the church has a hard time working with folks who, who are suffering from depression and going through that. So I wonder, uh, what, what advice do you have for folks to, to find hope in the gospel, and, and, and what advice do you have for folks who are, are, are navigating and, and journeying alongside people who are, are suffering with depression? Yeah, so it was really tough on me um, when people would tell me that, um, obviously, and I don't know if it was in there, it was cut, but like, um, of course reading my Bible more and praying more is going to help. Of course we can all do that more, you know, um, but it's just, it's a chemical imbalance in someone's brain. It's, there's, it's not, it's almost natural in a way where like, you have to like, for someone who's dealing with someone who's helping someone who's dealing with depression, I would say um, what helped with me the most is just telling them you care. Don't tell them what they need to do because that's the, I mean, maybe if they need to hear it, they need to hear it, that's your call. But um, just knowing that someone's there for you, just like, hey, I'm here to listen or I'm praying for you. Um, I care for you. I'm here to listen because my old pastor used to say this a lot and it stuck with me forever. And so people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that's what I just just care and love on someone who's dealing with that and then for someone who is dealing with that and um, kind of just not knowing where to go or where to turn to obviously the Bible is a great place to go um, you've probably read you know anyone here um, read the Bible whatever prayed um, the gospel's all about love and that's at least in my depression that was the thing I felt the least of was love mm. felt alone and when you see God and the stories of Jesus like no he loves all these people you know he loves you you just read those encouraging scriptures even if you read them a hundred times before um, like me growing up in church um, they just can't help it can't help but make you feel a little better even if it's just a little bit it's still rock solid cool so let me so we're we're talking today about uh the, the Jesus we, we may want or think we need or think should exist versus the Jesus that is and, and acting how he's going to and doing what his plan is. And one of the things I love about your story is that it's not like, oh, you know, I was depressed and suicidal and things were going the way I wanted in my life. And then I found Jesus and magically everything worked out great. High five. It was like, no, I was a Christian through all that. It was, it was still a tough journey. And so I wonder, could you unpack for you what it's like to sort of live in that tension of like thinking, God, why haven't you shown up here in this way when, when I've asked you to, but I still trust you in the midst of it? Yeah, that's a really interesting um, point to be in in life. Where I did grow up in church, I did know, and I've heard a hundred times, a thousand times, God's timing is perfect. The right time's going to come. And when I was depressed and like stuck in Roswell and I was looking for all these escape routes, different places to go, to move to, um, and I was thinking, is God's timing perfect? Because like... All my friends are gone in college, you know. Um, I can't really do what I love, music out there. Um, basically seems like this is a recipe for depression for me staying here. So what what's going on, you know? And um, But it's just faith. Like, that's all I could have. And even sometimes when I lost faith, um, I just lost it. But that's all you can have, that you just have faith that God's timing is perfect, that he knows what he's doing in your life. And when you look at it and look back at times in your life where you see you know, you were in a waiting period or you're somewhere you didn't want to be and then, you know, looking back on it, how, you know, good it was for you, 
it's just kind of like looking back, you got to have faith and you got to know that God has a better plan than you do. And it just kind of makes sense if you're growing up in church that it's just something you have to believe in and look back in the past and past examples and see how things have turned out. And that's kind of what I had to do. It's just like, okay, you know, things will work out. So for you, it's a lot of, of looking back on, on God's faithfulness, even up to that point. So you're saying, man, right now it's a tough time, but I know he's done this, I know he's done that, I know he's done that, and I know he'll get me through to X, Y, and Z. Exactly. And I know tough times are going to come again, and then I can look back to this waiting period and this whole transition I've been in for this past year and look at the positive in that. Awesome. So I know it's just kind of like steps. Awesome. Very cool. And uh, I will say for you, one of my, my favorite parts in your story, and then I'll let you go, is... Um, you know, you talk about how, how God's plan was better than yours because, you know, you were thinking you'd go to El Paso, to Jacksonville, but God shined his blessing upon you and brought you to Austin. And uh, it just makes me think of like, you know, if you eat bologna your whole life, you don't know that steak's delicious. And, and so you were wanting bologna and, and here you are in, you know, the best city in the world. So um, that's good. That's good. Uh, well, if we can say thanks to Garrett so much for, for sharing your story with us, brother. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. Well, one of the things that, that I really do um, love about Garrett's story is that, that very real tension that he lives into so well, that, that tension between the Jesus we want and the Jesus that actually is. And that, you know, he wrestles with depression and suicidal thoughts and just not being where he wants to be in life. But it's not like that stuff happened, you know, when he wasn't a Christian. Then all of a sudden he found Jesus and magically the world is just this rosy, perfect place. It's very real very real struggle that he went through. And I don't know if you caught it, but in the midst of those dark times and in the midst of some some harsh advice from well-intentioned church uh, folk, uh, Garrett found hope, he found comfort, he found love in the gospel. And that's not easy to do. It's not easy to find our hope in the Jesus that is when the Jesus that we want isn't showing up. Uh, so Garrett's story is, is very personal to me because uh, in many ways his story is, is my story. Uh, many of you know that, that I actually I, I do wrestle with depression and, and I, uh, I see a counselor and I, and I take meds. And, and around Christmas time this last year, actually, I was doing really well, though. Like I was killing it, feeling great. And so I was like, oh, my prescription ran out. I was like, I'll be fine. I'm good to go. And uh, eight weeks later, uh, when uh, the meds finally cleared out of my system, it was like the serotonin in my brain just went like, whoop. Right, And so I was just like in this, this deep, deep depression. And I was really frustrated at God at that time because I knew it was like this imbalance. And I was like, God, what's going on? I was like, I look at the circumstance of my life and, and things are great. Like I, I want to feel like it's like, like my family's doing great. The church is doing great. I'm getting these career opportunities that I, I never would have expected. And, and God, like things are awesome. And yet I still have this, this stupid cloud just like hanging over me. I'm like, what's going on? And so I called my buddy uh, John Brandenburg up. Some of you know him. He's, he's uh, preached for me here a few times. And, and I just spilled it out to him. And I said, dude, how, how am I supposed to show up on Sunday and preach to people about the hope we have in Jesus and, and the good news that we have in his death and resurrection and the, and the joy we experience because of all that he's done for us? How am I supposed to come and tell people that when I don't feel that at all? How am I supposed to do that? And my buddy Jonathan said, you're supposed to do that because it's true. Because it's true said, Gabe, regardless of how you feel or what's going on in your life, he said, you're a new creation in Christ. 
said, you're a forgiven child of God. He said, you're one who is loved and called by the, the, the king of the universe, by the God of the universe. It's just true. It's just true. And I'd love to tell you that right after he said that to me. I like hung up the phone and was like, oh. Uh, but that, that isn't what happened. You know, it, it took time. It took time. It took a few weeks and me sorting some things out. But, but as I reflect on it now, like his words were appropriate. His words were true. His words were what needed to be said. When the Jesus you want doesn't show up, you look to the Jesus who is. Look to the Jesus who is. And I don't know what that looks like in your life if there's a place where you're saying, you know, God, you haven't shown up here and I really want you to. Why, why haven't you done that? I don't know if there's, there's a place like that in your life. But I do know that, that the Jesus who came in on Palm Sunday is the same Jesus who went to the cross on Good Friday. And he did that so that anyone, anywhere, at any time who puts their trust in him can have new life with him, can join with him in his conquering victory over sin and death. That anyone who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior is joined to him. That anytime, anywhere, that nothing can separate you from that love of God because of what Jesus has done for you. That's the Jesus who is. That's the Jesus you can trust in no matter what. Because Jesus is this conquering king. And so as we trust in him, may we look to the Jesus who is instead of the Jesus we want, regardless of, of our experience. If y'all please pray with me. Lord Jesus, teach us to look to you, to trust in you. Especially when, when, when we think you should be doing things a certain way and, and you say you've got a much bigger picture in mind, a much bigger plan in mind. Lord, help us to see you for the king that you are and to trust in you this Palm Sunday. And pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.